Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and uh, um, they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years. All right, lads, so there's only one place to start and that is John Horan, GA president on the Sunday game last night. And there was loads in it. Um, it was a pretty long interview. So we'll start off with what he's talking about on matches. So he said, this is pretty much how he started the interview. He says, I can't see it happening, to be quite honest. If social distancing is a priority to deal with this pandemic, I don't know how we can play a contact sport. That is what Gaelic Games is. It's a contact um, sport. So, like, I mean... This is the kind of thing he goes on then to talk about returning in October, which is uh, where's October pulled out of? Because uh, I don't know about you two guys, but social distancing isn't going anywhere anytime soon. As far as I'm concerned, it's going to be best practice um, for a long time until a vaccine is found. And if they're going to go ultra conservative like they are and, you know, add two months on to what medical experts have advised the government to recommend, which is the 18th of May to open up pitches, you know, where does this end? Like we're looking if the GA are going, you know, to these extremes, will then there be no, forget about October, forget about anything else, Conan. Yeah, like the, the open up pitches thing, like I know, I've seen, I've seen your tweets <laughs> over the weekend and yeah. I actually agree with John Horne, what he was saying to Des Cahill last night. Well, like, let's, not, let's not get to that now because I want to go down through, through it first. We'll go, we'll go through the matches um, first. So he's going to talk about matches um, returning in October. We'll get to the open up the pitches in a second. Don't jump ahead. Yeah, well, like the, the opening up the or the the matches is an interesting one. Like they do need more of a lead, I think, on the from the government's point of view. Because while you're saying like yeah, people can come back and start playing sport or whatever, but not not competitive sport. They can't. Like it's not been said that they can go and 
participate in contact sports, like and, and whether or not social distancing is going to be effective in the long run, how is that going to be affected by by contact sports? Like, you know, is that going to be allowed in the long run? Like that that needs to be more clear, I think. And and I can see where John Horn's coming from in a sense. Like it it's a difficult one to do. And I know from a player I I I've started thinking like I not too keen at the minute to go back and start playing a contact sport. I don't know where October has been pulled out of that. Like that's that's a silly one. The same way I think the government were maybe a bit naive and just putting out some such sort of concrete dates and then try to say that it's all flexible and we'll all be sort of surveyed as we go along. But putting a, a date on something just sort of makes a rod of your own back, I think. Yeah, I don't know, Connor. Like, I mean, the reality is that you know, with his comment on if social distancing is a priority to deal with this pandemic, I don't know how we can play contact sports. So social distancing, as far as I would be concerned, will be recommended until a vaccine is found. Yeah. And that fact that the reality about that is that vaccine could be years away. I mean, like I've heard talk of maybe 12 to 18 months, but that's 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 an optimistic kind of a suggestion that it could be it could arrive within that time. Like I thought last like as soon as I heard that last night, I was worried about the prospect of GA returning at all. But then, like, I think what the GA is doing, I think they're trying to buy themselves some time. And like I know they said October there, but they said that they, they don't expect it to return between, you know, before October. So I think what they're trying to do is. Like, and this is this comes from as well from Killian Degaskin, who's on that um, public, who's on the NEFET team, who, who would be advising the government and like advising maybe the GA and stuff like that as well. But it's determining what an acceptable level of risk is because if we're waiting, if we're going to wait until the vaccine to come along, we could be waiting for several years. But if we if we have more information, let's say by the end of the summer, closer to October, that there's you know you can you can you know you can participate in sport to an acceptable level. You know, they 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 might be closer along to that by by October because just listening to the Killian Degaskin gave an interview the day after the roadmap was announced by the government, and he was kind of saying how it's going to be difficult for he sees it being very difficult for team sport until they have a lot more information about what that acceptable level of risk is. So like, well, I was a bit worried about it last night as well, thinking when would it ever return? But I think that's what the GA is doing is buying itself some time by saying not by saying let's say by next month or the month after when GA is ready to return, but hopefully by October, they'll have a lot clearer picture of where we're at. Right. Okay. So on the return to play, um, John Horan last night said, he said the July and October dates are ones we feel uh, possibly a return will happen. If things improve and hopefully they will, then dates can be looked at and reviewed. At least he said that it can be reviewed, but then he said, it continues on. He says they can be looked at in either manner to be brought forward or pushed back. As it stands, we feel both dates are safe, are a safe call at the moment. I, do, I like, I mean, this is, this is what I can't understand is what really annoyed me is adding the two months on to what the government um, had recommended. Like, I mean, the October date, it, like where where has that been pulled out of? Because the reality is in October, if you're playing off championship October, November, December, like, I mean, you're going into flu season then again. And there's always the, the risk that this is could flare up again in the winter. And as long as there's one case of it in society and the GEA are saying they don't want to lose one life. Like, I mean, the reality, how can they just pull an October date out of, you know, at, somewhere, Conan? I don't know. I, I sort of I can see where he was coming from when he said about bringing club back first because you know that obviously impacts everybody. So it's a sort yeah, of fair way to do. Yeah, but just on, just when you say that, like I mean, if they're trying to be conservative and really careful, would it not be make more yes. sense to 
to start back with inter-county, which is only 2%, and see how that works. Yeah, and then exactly bring the whole... Say, like, well, how can so, they, so they're not making sense by going, by bringing everybody back then. No, so I can, see, I can see why he's saying it, because it's like, you know, look, we're trying to get everybody back at the same time. But I think you're right. And his point of, like, you know, there's no point in players playing, or like, it's not safe for players to play, or it's not safe for crowds to sit in the stand. But... Like if you brought back the inter-county game first, which as you say is only two percent of the players, like that's way easier to like you know like the way the Premier League and the Bundesliga and all these yeah. organizations are trying to do it. Like you can test fifty players, you can't test twenty thousand people on a stand. You know, and you can't test every single club game all over the country at every level, but you can do it at senior inter-county level. So I I think they do have that backward a little bit, but. I, I can see in his head where he's thinking that this would be controversial if I say we're going to go with county first and we'll just forget about the club because you know that would be the talking point now all this week that the club's being screwed over again Yeah well like I mean the big one for me and you touched on it there was the closing of the pitches so like I mean here's what he said on that he said there was a concept in it that people could gather together in groups of four. We felt that it just couldn't be marshaled within clubs. And that's why we continue to keep our premises closed. Our clubs are led by a lot of good quality volunteer people who put um, who put the onus on the volunteers within our organisation to make the decision to police and organise training within our facilities. We just felt that we it would be too much. Like, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts on this are. Again, like, how does the GEA management committee know better than the government health advisors who have advised on the 18th of May, pitches can be reopened. So who gives, there was a a Zoom call between the GEA management committee and all county board chairmen around the country. And they've overruled the government. And they've added two months onto it. Who puts that? Who gives? Who gives them? You know the the authority. Well, they have the authority to do it, but do they have the expertise to do it? Like, I mean, I just cannot comprehend how if you close your clubhouse, if you close your dressing rooms, if you open the gate to your pitch, that there could not be a timetable set out in some way um, over the course of the week to give every team within the club an hour you know, or two to go in tens. Like the, the GA pitch is 130 meters. Like Christ almighty, how much social distancing do you want? Like you could social distance 20 fellas kicking a ball around wearing gloves in a in a GA pitch. How is this high risk? I just don't understand how it is how it is, Connor. But like so so you'd have a timetable that would have to go throughout the week because you know people are off work, off school and stuff like that. So Yeah, so I would say the children can go in the mornings. They're not in school. Like there's a whole load of club members not working. Unfortunately, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people are working from home. Are you telling me that a club couldn't row in together to make this work? Well, I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying that. I suppose, like that, the, the J. John Horn would have said last night that a lot of a lot of club chairmen were onto him to to two, make it, two. He said, "Okay, two. Well, well, various club chairmen were onto him to kind of get that, you know, take that responsibility out of his hands." I mean, what you've said there sounds feasible, Willie. To be honest, like as long as you had the the personnel, and you would you would like to think that with the personnel, the people working from home, maybe that like you know people that aren't working, unfortunately, in this current climate, might have the time to spare if they were in charge of a certain age group, you know, that they would have the time to spare to monitor that age group, you know, during a certain period, a lot of period of time during the week and that to make sure that it's them and only them and that they're observing all social distancing protocols. What I would just think off the top of my head that, that maybe there aren't um, 
smaller clubs maybe that wouldn't necessarily have those resources and you can't, you know, if, if you're putting down a diktat, if you're putting down something to all clubs that you can't say, well, small clubs operate this way and bigger clubs operate that way. I mean, the G, like I, I just think the GA are trying to provide maybe as much, they're being safe rather than sorry about this whole thing. And I know insurance comes into it and John Hoare mentioned, mentioned that last night. And like, in a way, I respect where he's coming from, from that, because at least... Rightly or wrongly, yeah. Wooly, there's clarity there. Like, And I'm just thinking last night, I watched Boris Johnson last night and then I watched John Horne. And I thought John Horne was far more clear. And look at the consequences of what Boris Johnson would have said last night for the UK. Yeah, but Boris Johnson could have said you're on lockdown for two more months, which is pretty much what John Horan did. So I don't think he get credit for just making a yeah. very conservative decision like that. You know, like, I mean, we have to reach a point where there is, there's going to be a risk until there's a vaccine. It's what we can live with and how we can responsibly, you know, go out onto a GA pitch, social distance and exercise, you know, and kick balls over the bar. Yeah, but, but everybody but everybody accepts that, for example, there should have been a winter training ban. Now, I know it's not the same, but it, like there was a reason for it. But, you know, it's hard to police these things, especially in the GA. Like, I, I actually do think the clubs have to be saved from themselves. Like, what you're saying is very doable. And like, you know, you would think that people would row in together. But the reason everybody trains so hard in the GA these days is it's paranoia because there's that much information out there, that much best practice. And you know, other teams are working hard. Annoy, especially when you're going to get hit with a knockout championship at the end of the year, like probably with a couple of weeks notice. People don't want to be left behind. So I, I can definitely see those groups of four becoming six, eight, and they would all be socially distanced. But then like those eight lads were like, let's get a four on four. Like, you know, that, that, that would just happen naturally, I think. And in a way, like as, as heartbreaking as it is, and we don't get to play on the pitch, I think they can be saved for themselves this way. I think that's desperate. It's a desperate attitude to have that if you have the whole day from nine until nine at night in summer hours, that you couldn't have a county board chairman there from nine until one, the secretary there from two until five, and then someone else there from five on monitoring whether that's going on. And if somebody breaks the rules, they're dealt with accordingly. You know, throughout through the G to the own club committee, that you've told you're told what you have to do here, lads. You have to wash your hands on the way in and on the way out. You have to wear gloves. You have to social distance. And there's going to be club committee members monitoring this. And if you want to play four against four, you won't be here again. You know, or face a suspension. Like it, the reality is, like if if county board chairmen are so concerned about this, why can't they police it? And here's another thing: what's the age profile of the the, all the county board chairmen around the country who have decided this. They're mm. probably in the high-risk group. Like, I mean, what harm is it for children in groups? I think groups of, like, realistically, could you not go four or five at one goal, four or five at another goal, and four or five in the middle of the field working on sprints? At least there's some sort of a team spirit about it, and the whole club will row in together, and let's all share the pitch. And in actual fact, instead of trying to get away with things, I think GA clubs could, you know, take it on themselves to make this really work rather than just shut up shop till July 20th. And the gas thing about it is, Connor, what changes on July the 20th? Like, it's not going to be fully cleared up on July the 20th. So all the same issues on May the 18th, that the government are saying it's safe, you know, to go back in small groups, and the GE are saying it's not. We're waiting July 20th. What medical advice did they get to decide July 20th? And what makes it okay then? 
the, the only thing that changes by July 20th is the level of information they have available to them by that stage. You would hope that, like... But the government, the government have that information now. They have a lot more. They have all that information, and they're saying May 18th safe. They know how much is spreading in the community. They know that the, the rate at which one person who's infected is infecting other people is down to 0 0.5. They know all this, and they've advised 18th of May, you can go out on pitches that should be open in small groups. And the GA have added two months onto that. Yeah, but Wally, they know that based on what we've done for the last couple of months as well. So as you gradually begin to ease restrictions, they have to kind of adapt to how that impacts on the population as well. Do you know what I mean? So like, like even just going back to that, um, Killian de Gascon, just, just speaking the day after that, that, that robot was in the government, he said that like with all the level, the world information they have available to them already, they still think that like the level of, the level of the population that has been exposed to the virus is, is something around 5%. So there's still like a 90, 95% of the population could be potentially susceptible. And we'll begin to kind of learn that closer to, like the restrictions have been eased a little bit already. They're going to be in restrict, they're going to be eased a little, a little bit more next or next week, a little bit more at the end of June. So like the, the, the data that they compile between now and then will give them, you know, a better, they, they mightn't be any further along, but like they might, they, they might have a little better idea uh, come July 20th, what 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 like what they're in a position position to do come come July 20th as well. I mean, it's very difficult. Again, like I I don't necessarily see a problem with what you've said there about like kind of the monitoring of it as well. I suppose the only thing I'll say to that is that like in in a lot of communities that the, the like the GA pitch might be the only might be the only connection. Uh, you know what I mean? So like then you have the then you have the elements of not only policing your GA because you've 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 the you've the responsibility of you know, policing other people from outside the GA community who might want to use your facilities. That's the only place to exercise. But listen, it's all, it's all completely in the air. It's, it's, it's such a difficult kind of um, conversation to try and have and try and nail down at this point, I feel anyway. So, yeah, so I got a tweet off Michael Dignan when I was given out about this. And this was kind of before I um, realised that it was all the county chairman, county board chairmen around the country that were kind of, you know, involved in the decision. Um, and he replied back to me saying, um, I don't think it's time to make the GEA pitches a possible breeding ground, keeping to groups or four, et cetera, and be impossible. And you, you seem to be a little bit on that lines, kind of like in Scary's Harps, for example, how many pitches do you have? And how do you, how do you think, you know, do you think it would be completely impossible? You're more on the lines that teams will, will, will start playing, con will start playing contact. I just think that that will sort of naturally happen, like in some like what is there twenty two hundred clubs in Ireland? So I, th I think somebody will start pushing the boundaries a little bit, and then even players who don't want to do it, they'll start feeling pressured into into doing it as well. I think it'll just sort of evolve over time, especially like you know we're sort of talking here now when we feel like things have sort of calmed down a little bit, and we're talking about a return to everything. So we're probably less. I don't know if afraid is the right word, but of, of this virus, we're less conscious of it. So I think it'll just start naturally happening. But in scary, we're lucky, like there's only one pitch, but like you're lucky that there's so much. There's actually a couple of public pitches around the place and there's big open grass areas. So in my head, I, t I take Connor's point about like the pitch might be the only place in some communities. But in my head, it's like, well, four of us can go out to the grass anyway and we can do runs together and we can do yeah. drills together and whatever. But we don't necessarily need to be on the pitch where I just think it's easier for things to start getting carried away when you're on the pitch and you've got those big goals in front of you. 
Well, that's the thing. But like, I mean, the fact that you can go down to one of those public areas in groups of four or five, kick a ball around with each other and do whatever training you want and do like go so far as to do contact. Like, I mean, it, it's not like the G are solving any problem here. They're just like, you know, saying, well, we're closing up our pitches for all the, uh, despite all the benefits you could get from it. If you want to cheat and you want to break the rules, you can do that elsewhere. See, I don't know if that's the right attitude. How about policing it within the GA and having control of it? Yeah, but, but how do you please, like you would say in Cork, for example, was it 200 and some clubs in Dublin, 97 or something like that? It's just well, like the, the, individu- the individual clubs themselves have a responsibility. You can't treat people like children. Like, I mean, if social distancing is the thing and you have to um, arrive to the GA pitch togged out with your uh, gloves on and anyone who doesn't have gloves won't be allowed in and you have a a, a club official, you know, uh, policing this right throughout the day, taken in shifts. What else are people doing now? It's something for them to do. Everyone's bored out of their minds. No, and I, I absolutely like accept that. And what you're saying, I think, is is very reasonable. I just I just think somewhere along the way in 32 counties of Ireland, people will start pushing it. And like you know, then once you start hearing more that other people are pushing it, and then once you start seeing a championship on the horizon, like I can see where John Horn's coming from, and that he doesn't want the GA to be responsible for another spread of this. He talked about clusters. That word, like you know, if that started happening. Now, I know it's down to the clubs themselves, but if these club pitches became breeding grounds, as Michael Dignan said, then it's just a bad look for the GA, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's completely scaremongering that that, that would happen. Like, I mean, the, the reality is, is that this is well under control now and it's not very much in the community anymore. And the government have decided, based on that, that things can start opening back up. You know, like, I mean, again, I don't want to keep repeating myself. I want to move on here um, a little bit because, oh, yeah, this was another point I was interested in making was John Horan on April the 17th. And this was the GEA's response right throughout this from the start of the lockdown right throughout until April the 17th. And this is what John Horan said on April the 17th, said it really will come down to the advice we get from the health authorities and the government. We will only make decisions in line with the recommendations they give to us. So my question here, Connor, is what's changed from that? Like government plan is to open pitches on the 18th, which I've mentioned, go back training on June the 8th and then get back into competitive action on July the 20th. So the government are obviously, like I've mentioned, getting all this critical uh, medical advice. And this is what they have decided. And for some reason, along the line, the GEA have have given up taking their advice and acting in line with their recommendations and have gone on a solar run. On it. Like, I mean, Shane McGrand, the Irish Daily Mail, we'll get to a newspaper review in part two. He he was alluding to the fact, and he seemed like he had some information, is that the GEA were annoyed at Simon Harris for not informing them on the ban on mass gatherings over 5,000 until September. So he went on a solar run. Leo Varadkar went on a solar run on the Late Late Show and stupidly said that we could have all Ireland's at the end of the summer without consulting with the GEA. Do you think there's an element of the GEA going, here, you're not playing ball with us here. We're going to take our ball now and we're going to bring it into the house. I think that's absolutely the case, Willie, to be honest. And I think that John Horan last night was probably far more diplomatic than what the GA are thinking actually behind closed doors. You know, I'd say they're raging about the fact that, um, you know, Simon Harris didn't didn't consult with them. And he, they, they weren't the only organisation, by the way, but there was no consultation with them before the mass gatherings. And particularly Leo Varadkar, like I like. I remember watching the late, late at the time and thinking that I didn't mind as a lot of people seem to have issues with Leo Varadkar consulting his notes 
about a plan that was only announced a few hours earlier that was really detailed. What I did have a big issue with was with him going on a big solo run and saying, oh, we could have an All-Ireland. And he was clearly looking to score points. Yeah. You know, it looks good for him if he says, you know, what's the biggest day in the in the Irish sporting calendar? It's the All-Ireland final. If I, as the teacher of the country, can be seen to be give people a little bit of hope and a little bit of, you know, something to look forward to. The only problem was I haven't consulted with the organisation who organises those All-Ireland finals. And now the GA had to be you know, it had to be the wet blanket and say, well, this probably isn't, you know, it's not likely to happen. If it is likely to happen, it's not going to happen until October. So the, what, 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 what you say there is the, the problem there is clearly a communication breakdown. And I, and I would say just like, again, it's, it's not just the GA. Like I was chatting to um, the, somebody from the Vintners organization there last week and the Vintners were raging with Simon Harris when he said that, you know, there's no chance of the pubs opening by the end of the year. And they've been making comments publicly w- without consulting these, the organizations that are, that, that actually, actually have to imp- implement this stuff. So I, I don't know, is it the GA that you know, are, are going against the government advice. I think the problem here that you've intimated that just there is a communication breakdown or communication problem between the government, the authorities, the government, the GA and the public health authorities who are responsible for, you know, dispensing this advice in the first place. Yeah, no, there definitely, definitely does. What do you think of that, um, Conan? Like, I mean, it looks to me like potentially they could get a, get a little bit annoyed with not being consulted about these things. Yeah, it's funny you say about John Horn taking his ball into the house of him. I did sort of have this conspiracy theory in my head where uh, he was talking about, like, you know, we can't have players playing on the pitch until we have 20,000 people. It's the same thing in Crow Park. I was thinking, like, the GA is so important to Irish society that that, you know, that might be a good bit of leverage that they can use to try and sort of get crowds back in the crew park because obviously that's where their biggest money comes from so I was wondering rather than you know him ignoring the fact that you could potentially test county players but he just saying we're not playing until we're like 20,000 people in there I don't know that's just me uh, no, no. this is what he said on behind closed doors because we'll finish up with John Horan on this he said I have a bit of an issue with the closed doors concept if it's safe enough for the players to be in close contact on the pitch then it's going to be safe enough to have a certain number of people in the ground gathering and that obviously made sense. Like, I mean, if players are playing down on the pitch, how can you not, you know, spread 20,000 out around Croke Park or spread 10,000 out around Turles or spread 5,000 out around Moor Park? That makes sense. But you then... Know, because you can test all the players, you know, you can yeah. you can make sure yeah, that they're, they're all in quarantine. But they're social distanced in the stand. So, like, they're following no. recommendations. Yeah, I know, but like then you're coming through turn like turnstiles, they're all sitting together. It's just it's just more awkward. You can have you can make sure that fifty players or if it's twenty six in a squad or make it shorter, you can make sure that every single person there in the stadium even has been gone through the same regulations and they're all uh, fine. Yeah. Ah, Jesus, if you get to that. But anyways, there's a contradiction in that anyways, because if John Horan is social distancing people in the stands, well, then the players shouldn't be bloody playing because, like, he's just said there will be no contact sport <laughs> while there is social distancing. So, like, I mean, I, I see the GA getting credit by a lot of people here on this, and I just see it as a massively conservative step who will putting out a lot of people, and I don't think they're getting the same medical advice as, you know, the government had got. Like, I mean, the re- again, I keep repeating myself, the reality is that nobody's going to know. Um, nobody knows what's what's going to happen. And if we continue on just with the attitude, like if the, if, if the country continued on the same attitude as the GEA and said everyone's locked down till July the 20th, 
Sure, like you can't just do that. Sure, I could say, right, I have a solution to this. Let's lock down and let's cancel GE until a vaccine's found. And will everyone say, Jesus, Jesus, what a brilliant idea, Wooly? And you're keeping people safe. You're keeping people safe, and nobody's going, nobody's going to die. But do not, that doesn't mean it's a good idea. Like there has to be a, a a balancing act from now on. Now that it's been contained, the curve has been flattened of how we get back to doing some things. Do you know? And mm. just going ultra conservative on it and getting credit for that, that wouldn't be, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. And that's, that's a good point. Uh, like, you know, if it's okay for the players to play, then why did the people in the stand have to be separated? Like, so by John Horan's logic, Logic the players playing should mean that you can have eighty thousand people in the stand. Do you, do you know? Exactly, so exactly. there is. That's why yeah. part of me is wondering is this used as some sort of leverage to try and get people back into the stadiums. What really annoyed me last night is that John Horan wasn't challenged on anything. See how many things we're annoyed about here between going back in October, why? Flu season. How do you know it's going to be okay? Where did you pull that date out of? Why July? Why two months after the government? Are you are you not are you not following their advice anymore? What about opening the pitches? There's 101 things he could have been interrogated on. And Des Cal just gave him a PR opportunity to give his side. And it's not surprising with Des Cal, because every time I go to Croke Park for some sort of uh, uh, launch, Des Cal's doing the MC on it. So he's not like he's going to challenge him. And what nearly made me sick at the end of the interview was, it was like it was a set up question. It was, uh, Des says, any other positives, uh, Liam, to come out of the situation? And Liam says, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and he starts talking about straight in, didn't even have to think about this because he knew that question was coming and started talking about Zoom training sessions and the GPA and all things like this. And like, I mean, you have the GA president talking about very sensitive issues. And you're giving them just a complete, you know, platform just to give one side unchallenged. That's not healthy for any public discourse. It's not healthy for the GEA. And it's not it's 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 not the right way to do things. Yeah, well, and it was the exact same as well with Ryan Hubbardy and Leo Varadkar the week before. It's disappointing. Very disappointing. Very yeah. disappointing. The clue in that was the clue in that was just a little, very briefly before the interview flashed up that this interview was recorded on Friday, the eighth of May, I think. Do you know, so like I, I think you, you kind of got an inkling that this would have been very closely coordinated, and like it seemed that way to me, is in like that. I don't know. I, I like I can't speak for Descal, but John Horn had a very good idea of what he was going to be asked before. It seems to be like that too. Yeah, yeah. Answers prepared in advance as well. You know. Yeah. No, I completely agree. So uh, the CPA has sent out a survey. So any CPA members listening, um, check your inbox. So they have balloted its members. They're asking a load of uh, ten questions about what the appetite is like to play this year, um, and that is under the assumption that there's no vaccine. So questions like, would you return to training or playing with your club in 2020? As a spectator, would you? Attend 10 club matches as a spectator, would you attend inter-county matches? Would you train or play if every player and official was temperature checked before each training? But again, John Horan kind of scuppered that. Anyways, it'd be interesting to see what the what the response to that would be amongst young people, you know, who are, are you know, there's nobody under 35 has died from this, you know, and, and what we all know the elderly parents and relatives you know, my parents are cocoon and they're not even going in shopping. I think everyone has to take personal responsibility of how they're dealing um, dealing with it. But anyways, before people get completely bored, we'll move on from that, lads. Uh, but we will continue on the Sunday game team, lads, because I had to laugh. Um, they're seven weeks 
since the lockdown waiting on a Sunday game. And then they come up with a show, you know, of old historical games. And what did they show? A match in, a hurling match from 2018 and a football match from 2017. I remember both, I remember both matches. Um, like we analysed them on the GAR. I remember the talking points. I remember Conor Callan's goal. There was no nostalgia involved in this whatsoever. And the same pundits that would have been talking about it back in the studio in 2018 or just brought back in to talk about it again like I mean I, I nearly I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe it I don't know it's like I'm going on an anti-RT uh, bloody team here but that's not the case they just keep annoying me the the only thing about that is like so so they had Cyril Farrell and uh, Anthony Daly for the hurling but at least they had Stephen Rochford for the uh, football yeah. team thought that you might have thought they would have asked a few questions that like a few really kind of pressing questions about the game but I know, apart from maybe Kieran Whelan asking about Aidan O'Shea, which in the Kerry game, which he's been asked already, and apart from maybe asking, um, do you know, like I, I think Stephen Rochford was asked about the send. We they tried to ask him about the Donny Vaughan sending off, which he, he was never going to, you know, Stephen Rochford was never going to pin responsibility no. on on Donny Vaughan, even even this far removed three years ago. So like they didn't really ask him anything that you know, no no any pre- no no real pressing questions that that you would have found information off Stephen Rochford that uh, that he mightn't have revealed, let's say, in post match interviews a couple of years ago, especially that he's especially considering he's still involved with Donegal and isn't likely going to, going to say anything that's going to cause any controversy. Yeah, and even on that team, like you like you said, they had Rochford set 2017. You have Anthony Daly who's played in an All Ireland final in ninety five and ninety seven and you don't entertain showing any footage of that. Or you've Cyril Farrell who managed Galway to two in a row in the late eighties and you ah look so what's the point of that we just have the manager from that time and we have all the footage why would we bother with that let's just show Clare and, and Galway from two years ago now I'm not the Clare and Galway was obviously a classic it was an absolutely brilliant game but I don't know some of the thinking um, you'd absolutely wonder about but one reason I was glad that they showed the Clare Galway game is because it made me remember our live show we did down in Ennis before the Clare game before that game and we had a worldwide exclusive um, that day. We had Gerlock Nan meeting Gerlock Nan. So here it is. Sorry, I'm late. Ah, chair. Sorry, I'm late, eh? Join my chair. Is there a chair, Daphne? Is there a chair? Chase, you wouldn't have room to throw and sweep your mouth here, eh? Hold on, eh? How are you there? How are you going on, chair? You ready, eh? You should, Who, pull, uh, you should pull down that bag a bit farther over your head. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck is that guy? Huh? <laughs> uh, who is that? Jerry, huh? it's uh, great to have you here. Um, hey, listen, enough of the pleasantries now, Colin. Just get this over. Right? <laughs> I shouldn't even be here tonight. I should be out hunting or something like that. You know what I mean? That's what I like to do. Is it, Jerry? Because every, everybody thinks that uh, hurling's your first love, but it's actually hunting, is it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know... A lot of people do say, what do you love about hulling, they say. Or what do you love about hunting, they say. Huh? Is, it, is it the fresh air? Is it the great outdoors? Is it the trail? No. I just love killing things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's why. Uh, all right, Cher, uh, enough, enough of that. Uh, let's talk hurling. Can Claire win at the weekend? Well, I don't say this a whole lot, you know what I mean? But I have to say, this Claire team... Is absolutely <coughs> useless, right? <laughs> uh, they, they've got no guts, no guile, no nothing. Do you know what they don't? They've no jollock man. Do you know what I mean? I tell you. It's yes, yourself now. Don't when, get out of the Not now. When I played for Claire, right? Jesus, I tell you, I always put my body on the line. I mean, I broke more bones, arms, legs, noses. 
fuck it, I even injured myself once or twice, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, I, but I tell you one thing now, Woolly, right? As, as bad and all as Claire out. <clears throat> we have enough to beat that goodly show on Saturday, I tell you that. <laughs> well, speaking of Galway, right, so you obviously have your history with, with, with them, with the two lads here on stage with you. What's your opinion of them now? <clears throat> I've seen more brains than blow-up dolls, I have to say. <laughs> now, let, let me tell you, right? Uh, I, 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 uh, <laughs> it's really, I never should have went to Galway, right? The biggest crowd of sissies you'll ever come across, right? You know, see, what happens in the dressing room, right, stays in the dressing room, right? Not in Galway. You'd, you'd hear all these stories back that night, I'd be telling the girlfriends, oh, Lachnan said this to me. Oh, Lachnan did that to me. Oh, Lachnan bet they shit on me a train. Right? Now, did I make mistakes? I did, absolutely. Remember, remember the sand track I trained you on there for three months? You remember that? Now, that was a mistake. I never should have trained them on that. Should that was a sand track for training horses. I tried to team of fucking donkeys, didn't I? Yeah. Great stuff there from uh, Connor Sketches, lads. And in fairness, his sketch on the Sunday game last night was excellent as well. Poor Mark O'Shea, he'll never live down that. Uh, it's happened to all of us, but um, it wasn't. <laughs> none of us are Mark O'Shea with player of the years and all stars and none of us had it probably recorded like that and none of us had Connor Sketches put it on uh, the biggest GA show in the country so you'd, you'd feel you'd feel for Marco Shea I've never Remember seen the days Willie, when Connor Sketches was doing impressions of us he thought we were making it big then didn't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah come here listen lads um, another bit of news we missed last week because we're not doing live shows every week um, obviously unless there's stuff to talk about, um, Ray Walker. So he pos- who tested positive, Carlo footballer. He made a comeback. He left the county squad in 2013. He's 35. Um, he rejoined the squad this year. Um, very good player by all accounts. He was captain of O'Hanrahan's, who won the intermediate title last year. Still their best player. And he tests positive for Meldonium. Have I pronounced that right? Yeah. Um, so he got a four-year ban, which he's accepted. And the unusual thing about this is that, um, like Dr. Una May um, said, said, she said, it's not a substance that we have detected in a sample previous to this. It's quite common in some parts of the world. It's not as common here. We would consider it unusual in that it's not available in any Irish medications and it's not for sale in Ireland. So, like, I mean, this is the drug Maria Sharapova got suspended for. So it's only been put in the banned list two years ago. It's not on sale in Ireland. Ray Walker is returning back to the to the Carlo squad. Um, he's testing positive for this. It's a it's an unusual one. It sounds to me like something was bought off the internet here, lads. Some sort of a recovery drink or something like that. That's my spe- that's my you know speculation of how the hell this got into his body, Conan. It's such a specific performance enhancing drug, though, isn't it? It's like uh, I don't know where you would get it. To, you know, if it wasn't a wasn't a drug, like you know, it probably isn't a lot of other substances or whatever you can buy but um yeah it's uh i don't know it's a, it's a real it's a tough one for him like I, I um the fact that he's retiring like you know or just accepting the band like i don't even know if i would do that i i get what he's saying that like you know he's playing careers over anyway even club boys even if he got it reduced by two years or something but part of me would think like if i if i was innocent i would look to 
I would love to clear that up the same way like Maria Sharapova did. Do you know when there is, a, you, you mentioned it, it's only come into the ban list, I think it was 2016, January 2016, and like Sharapova had been taken for 10 years. There was a study done in 2015 where 17% of Russian athletes were taking it. Like, you know, this was just what you did because it helped improve the blood flow and get the oxygen around the body. But, you know, I would definitely just query it if, if I thought it was innocent and, you know, just try to get, but like, you know, maybe he just didn't want the hassle. I think that apparently he's a quiet enough fella and he didn't want mm. to, he wouldn't want the hassle of all of that. So he said in his statement, they did not take and intentionally take any banned substance. Anything that was found in my system was there completely unintentionally. I cannot explain for sure the substance how the substance came to be in my system, but I was taking anti-inflammatories for a lower stomach issue around the time of the test. Again, like I mean, it's not the greatest defense in the world here, lads, is it if you're being honest? He says I'm accepting the four-year ban because I want this episode to be over and done with at 35 even a lesser ban would still mean I was likely unlikely to ever return to playing. It's not an admission of intentional wrongdoing on my part in any way. I, I can actually see why he would accept it. I know you're being tarnished and like there is a point of that, but he's being banned anyways. And instead of going through a big lengthy process, you know, either listen, there's two ways of looking at it. He's guilty and doesn't want to be the details to come out or he doesn't want to go through the whole process. To be honest, nobody really knows um, the answer to this. It's definitely a suspicious um, case, a lot more suspicious than Brendan O'Sullivan, um, you'd have to say. But an interesting point he makes is finally, from the time that I, finally, he said, from the time I rejoined the Carla panel in November to the time the test took place in February, I did not receive any anti-doping training or education. And that's something, Connor, that definitely is something that needs to be uh, looked at because the GEA have said that in 2019, 36 players on the Carla Footpan panel completed formal anti-doping education. Um, and as of today, which was after Ray Walker, you know, his statement, 36 players in the 2020 squad. So there is a crossover. Players join squads in September, October for the new year. They've missed that anti-doping. The young fella, the fella from Monaghan who tested positive, he was only a bit part on and off squads as well. You know, players can miss this education. Yeah, like I think it's entirely up to the medical teams of various counties, whatever, to to what extent that they impress upon their players the need to, you know, to need to follow up with this anti-doping training. And just even I was looking last night that the Paul Guini was tweet like in a, in a separate kind of issue. Paul Guini was tweeting last night about that he had sympathy with James Cronin, uh, the Munster rugby player who was. Uh, who was let off with a fairly light um, kind of uh, sanction for an offence lately. And like just just it suggested from Paul, Paul Guini and the level of response that he got that was kind of criti critical of him that like maybe GA intercounty players aren't being educated as much as they need to be. And then like just as, as a kind of result, I just I kind of looked up you know what? What? Uh, what kind of resources are available to GA players? Like on, like, and there's 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 an online course that they have to do. But like, I wonder. Like, I'd say in some counties, you know, the medical team are like, you absolutely have to do that, and are very kind of keen to impress upon, um, you know, their players the 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 knowledge that they have, let's say, of of anti doping and everything they put into their system, where it might not be as stringent in other counties. And maybe that was the case with with Carlo as well. Even though I know Carlo kind of came out to defend themselves, but I think across the board. I think it's if if anything, it probably brings up the need again for for there there, there to be you know a, a wider education or, or probably more stringent education of GA players with regard to anti-doping and like across the country. Right. Okay. Great stuff, lads. We'll come back with a newspaper review. Conan Doherty is a fantastic analyst, and I mean, I really heed what he would say in your program. 
like I think Tyrone are going to win. I'm going to go with them. I, as much as I, I predicted Dublin to win the All Ireland at the start of the year, I just think Tyrone are going too well. They're unaffected by the other team. Too well set up. I think they've been preparing for Dublin for two years. They're ready for them. I'm, I'm going to go with them. Yeah. Alright, so the Sunday newspaper review, lads. I was going to do a full show on this until I bought the newspapers and realised there's feck all in any of them when it comes to GEA, understandably. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, we know the situation everybody's in here. We've got no GEA and it is starting to get a little bit frustrating for everybody. And maybe that's part of why I'm reacting to this GEA 20th of uh, July um, thing so much. But uh, in the Independent, it was only, in the Sunday Independent, there was only one piece. It was Joe Brawley, um, which I was surprised about because usually the Sunday and they were very strong on on GEA. But I suppose when there's not much out there and Brawley, it's hard to know what what Brawley's trying to say in his piece really, because he kind of touches on a lot of his kind of, you know, go-to topics. Um he says but in this soul well first he talks about running around pretending to be Mikey Sheedy and uh scoring a goal on Charlie Nelligan and things like this. A nice little anecdote. And then he says, but in this soulless modern industry that is Gaelic football, where meals have become medical procedures, sleep a commodity to be monitored, the number of touches and turnovers and obsession and formulate game plans, trumping imagination. There is no time or place for dreaming, you know, like dreaming like he used to um, when he was younger. He continues on again. One of his one of his go to hitting the GPA. He says the GPA calls it a product. And as products go, it's a boring one. Young men who have been taught to say nothing, pundits who better say nothing, and managers' press conferences that make three-year-old slots seem exciting. Is it any wonder the boredom of this this grind produces boredom? Is any wonder the players and managers will say nothing? Um, like I mean, there's a couple of things there. Conan, the idea that young players now don't dream the same as he dreamed is complete nonsense, and it's just bullshit to say it. The the idea, obviously, that you know the media surrounding the G has come very formulaic and boring. That's a fair point. Like, I mean, one thing that jumps at me straight away. I don't know if you're watching the Michael Jordan, the Bulls documentary there, the Last Dance. You've Jerry Seinfeld in the dressing room talking to Michael Jordan before a big game. Like, I mean, he's t- completely relaxed and he goes out. I know that's in the '90s as well, and things change, but I don't think we need that say the same level of you know, worry around being open about things. I, I think the classic games have probably shown that. It's probably Brawley's point. That he, if, as contradictions go, these, these were some special ones for Joe Brawley. Like he used uh, Foreman as, as his example, even though yeah. he doesn't say anything, and Brawley wrote about that. And then he used Paddy Talley as his, his example. And yeah, he someone who he, him <laughs> <laughs> he blames him for making football boring, so it was very interesting. And yeah, to pick up on your point, like you were, it's, it's the fact that or the idea that David Clifford doesn't go down his pitch and kick ball as much as Joe Brawley did it's just, I find that phenomenal that anybody could try to sort of suggest that like David Clifford Sean O'Shea like all the best players they, they're spending as much time if not more down the pitch on their own kicking ball it's just that they're doing even more on top of that I, I, I agree with the, the media thing and like remember that Classic Gerlock Nam one at half time talking to the camera, you know, saying yeah. we're going to win it, and he goes in and half. Like, you know, again, he didn't lose by doing that. You always make that point. People who do an interview before a game, they don't necessarily lose the match. So we could definitely do with some more of that and a bit more personality. But yeah, I just uh, think Joe was 
burnt up the wrong tree with some of his points. Yeah, so like I mean, the the, the headline on the piece was "Real Wellness is Players Embracing um, Time of Their Lives," um, you know, and he, again, it jumped. I'm not, you're not sure what exactly he's trying. It's only towards the end he gets to, you know, what, what the headline is talking about. And again, like you mentioned, he talks about Paddy Talley, and he said Paddy Talley had spoken to a lot of players over the course of the break, and this is what Paddy says: the amount of people who have said, I don't want to give this up. I want to be able to hold on to some of this because this is the first time I've realised the value of time, the value of slowing things down. There is no doubt a lot of our amateur sports people are thinking, this is nice, emotionally, psychologically, time-wise. I don't know who they're talking to. Again, I'd say inter-county players around the country are tearing their bloody hairs out. These are active high achieving sports people and they're stuck at home like they've huge camaraderie with their teammates and are you telling me that these fellas would prefer to be just a regular Joe Soap sitting at home scratching his arse or they would rather be in that high performance environment that they're usually in I just I just can't go along with that I cannot go along with the fact that GEA players are saying this is nice emotionally psychologically and time wise because the reality of it is Connor, most GEA teams are out of the championship in July and then they're back to their clubs which is much less stressful it's not like GEA players have never felt this feeling of you know not being under pressure before yeah, quite. That's what I was thinking as well. Like as as usual, Joe was pretty selective in in how he kind of illustrated his anecdote. Like you know, so at the start of his point, at the start of his piece, I think he mentions uh, speaking to a recently retired Mayo player, and there can only there can only be a couple of recently retired Mayo players. But anyway, obviously they have a, they have a completely different perspective. They're recently retired, so they're probably in their mid thirties, might have you know responsibilities and kids and stuff like that. So the way that they're going to look on how they spend their free time now is going to differ completely from somebody who's twenty three, twenty four. You know, not working at the moment. Absolutely, you know, in yeah. this the, the weather that we're having at the moment, absolutely tearing their hair out. Mad to be going training four or five nights a week. You know that kind of way. So, like, uh, like uh, again, I, I'm Joe was pretty selective. He he had his point that he wanted to make at the start of the article, and he was going to make it. You know, and he was going to use the the, the selective quotes that he had to do to do it. The only the the, the thing maybe about Paddy Talley is that like I think whatever about who he was talking to, maybe he is right in saying that like. The GA should take the time to reset, and I I mean this in terms of like uh, you know we've been on and and I don't want to bring this fix the fixtures debate into it, but like surely this is a, a, as good as opportunity as any you know as any to get the you know to to have the time and get the the relevant stakeholders get together to revisit the calendar and present something better post you know when we're through all this, but that that that's about it. I I I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with um with them saying that like everybody's thinking, you know, I want it, I want it to be like this more often. They're tearing their hair out. They're mad to go. I'd say so. I'd say so. And I hear a lot of people saying this is a time to reflect on the on the structure and all that. And it's like, Jesus, this that's not going to happen. The GA have lost yeah. 50 million this year. You think <laughs> next year to go, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll cut the intercounty season <laughs> and we'll focus on clubs and really bloody like I mean, some of the stuff that's been said I think is nonsense. But anyways, we'll move on to the Sunday World as because Pat's plan wrote a piece and it was nothing short of unbelievable. I have to say and like I mean the headline is something inside so strong and yeah he actually quotes um, he quotes uh, the song uh, who is it from Labby Sapphire uh, something inside so strong he actually quotes it during the course of the piece he quotes Michael Jordan Steve Jobs Roy Keane Alex Ferguson he does a passage from the song something inside so strong then he quotes Michael Jordan again then he finishes with Dale Wimbrook uh, Dale Wimbrook poem so like I mean I was reading this going is Pat Spillane taking the piss out of me or, or what's going on with this with this piece so the whole thing is about 
the subheadline is all successful sports stars share three common characteristics, and I had all three in abundance. So I thought he would be a little bit, you know, braggadocious, but he's fairly self-deprecating at the start. Um, he said, my faults were too numerous to list. My left foot was so weak, I rarely used it. Fielding wasn't a strong point either. Being physical or tackling weren't strong points either. So, like, I mean, he's completely um, running down his game. But what he gets to the, the number of it, outside of all these quotes that he uses, he says, however, all successful sports stars share three common characteristics, a winning mentality, an insatiable hunger for success, and a capacity for hard work. I had all three in, in abundance, Conan. I think we'd all, we'd, we'd all agree on that. Yeah, like you, you, you probably could have gotten to that quicker. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big passage from that song as well. Like, it, there's too many lyrics on there. I was like, why am I still reading? Like, I know the yeah, song. Well, well, for the listeners to say, rather than attempt, so he's talking about how uh, Mick O'Dwyer drilled the mantra, commit, focus, believe, achieve into the players. So where did I get my single-mindedness from? Rather than attempt to explain... I will quote you a few lines from Labby Sapphire's hit song, Something Inside So Strong. The higher you build your barriers, the taller I become. The farther you take, take my right away, the faster I will run. You can deny me. You can decide your turn. Uh, you can decide and turn your face away. No matter, because there's something inside so strong. I know that I can make it. Like I can hear the song, the melody of the song in the background. He actually quoted the, quoted the whole chorus of the song. I'm not going to give Mick O'Dwyer any more credit. He went to that song and said, that's where he got his mantra from. Like, uh, I do. about 50 of his own words in there with all the other quotes. In there. <laughs> yeah, he's try yeah, he's trying to fill up the word count and say, Connor, like, we've all done that. I, do you know what, do you know, like, what I'd like to, what did Pat Spillane do back in the day? Do you know, because like, what I found most interesting that he slept for 12 hours a night. He didn't get up until noon and he had time to train twice a day, six days a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't believe. So the, here's a few of the things. Like I mean, he said I work specifically. Now a few of the interesting things. There's so much I will go in it, but a few of the things that you could actually get an insight into what he done or what he did. He said, so I worked specifically at, at perfecting what I was good at, speed, stamina, solar running and repetitive kicking the ball over the bar for at least two hours every day. Then again, about sleep, he said, I was obsessive about sleep during my career, getting at least 12 hours a day thanks to the indulgence of my mother. During the summer holidays, for example, I would go to bed around midnight, but I never got up um, before noon the next day. Before every then he said he was doing visualization before everyone else. He said before every big match, I close my eyes for twenty minutes and imagine what would happen during the game. Um, he said that even though I played in ten All Ireland finals, I don't think I ever slept a wink the night before, which I thought was interesting. One of the one of the big ones um, about his training, I thought, was occasionally when I was running forty laps of a ploughed field with ten pound weights strapped around my ankles, the monkey was on my shoulder. Uh, which would suggest was I wasting my time? Let's just let's just digest that. He was running forty laps of a ploughed field with ten pound weights around around his ankles. That's unbelievable, Connor. Yeah, and isn't that after? Um, wasn't that after his cruciate? Didn't he do the cruciate back in the yeah. day as well? And that was when that was when the cruciate wasn't a it wasn't a known quantity. Like it, like if if you get a cruciate injury these days, it's not likely to be career ending. Whereas in the middle of eighty the eighties, when Pat Spillane got it, if you got a cruciate, that could be the end of your career. And he he, he mentioned how he like it, people kept telling him he wasn't going to come back, and he did. So like to for the level of dedication to be able to do that. Now, granted, he was doing it on the back of twelve hours sleep a night, but still, that's. That, that 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 was really impressive, and like to be fair to Pat Spillane, like there is a lot of guff in it, but like this guy did get how many what eight um, 
eight consecutive um, All-Stars or something like that, or, you know, and how many All-Irelands. And I think the, the wider point of his article, which he took a long time to get around to, uh, around to, was that you don't win stuff by talent alone. And he uses that as an example, and Michael Jordan and David Clifford and whoever else. So, But the the, the anecdotes, I was about to say, no wonder he didn't get any sleep before our Iron Finals, because he had 72 hours of sleep banked in the week before. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, like if Pat Spillane did a piece on his weekly diary and the training he did, I'd be a hell of a lot more interested in it than a lot of the nonsense in that. But maybe Sunday World readers, you know, are into that kind of thing. I don't know. Um, in the Sunday Times, um, there's only one piece as well. So the Sunday Indo and the Sunday Times only had one piece each. There seemed to be a lot more rugby in those papers, lads. I know that with that doping case, um, probably um, was the reason for that. So Dennis Walsh is the the headline on his one is risky business. GA has dis- has declined chance to escalate activity for now. So he kindly does does an analysis on the GA's idea of putting it. Back, putting the date to July the 20th. Don't worry, anyone listening, we're not going to talk about that again. <laughs> but he has a couple of specialists, at least in his piece. It's not his. It's not exactly his opinion or anything like that. He, he was talking about um, a document World Rugby published during the week, and it was co-authored by Dr. Aina Falvey, um, World Rugby's chief medical officer, who said he would be very surprised if there wasn't some competitive rugby by the end of the year, with small crowds in attendance. He also said he was quite disappointed that rugby didn't appear in phase four rather than phase five of the Irish government's roadmap. Do you see what I mean? You can be conservative or you can be positive about these things. And here's a, a medical expert, you know, saying that rugby could have been in phase four. This is rugby with a scrum. See, it's all this context that kind of makes me wonder about the the GEA decision. And then he has Sam McConkey, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's an infectious disease specialist um, and a professor at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. And he said it will come to a point where, as a society, we have to decide what our risk appetite is and what we're willing to tolerate. If we're saying that we can accept small risk, we want to be coming from a very small base of cases, ideally where the number of new new cases per day is in the tens, if not the single digits. We're not going to get no risk without a vaccine. But at the same time, if we're going to start accepting risk, we want to be sure that we're coming from a very good place from a data perspective so that, you know, there's very little virus circulating in the community. Like, I mean, that's summed up fairly well, Connor, isn't it? Without going back over what we talked about um, in part one, that there's no no risk scenario, you know, like, I mean, so we're all going to have to be responsible and accept risk. Yeah, well, the no, no risk scenario is not playing again until there's a vaccine. And uh, like, I think that every, like, I think in that same piece, Willie Sam McConkie says that there are some, you know, it, like a while there's obviously an accelerated demand for a vaccine because coronavirus is, is affecting everybody around the world with other, like with other vaccines, they've taken several years to develop. So nobody's, nobody's thinking that we're going to wait several years before we're playing contact sport again. So like that, that piece is a very good summation that like, you know, the, the the wider point of it is that like we have to come to a level where we get to an acceptable level of risk. And like to be fair to the GA, whether it was communicated properly, I think that's what they're doing at the moment and trying to in the in terms of trying to buy themselves time, in terms of that they're hoping that by October, as opposed to now, they have a lot more information which will meet which will, you know, allow them to determine what is that acceptable acceptable level of risk. Like like there was some good stuff from from Aina Falvey. The what the one thing I would say is that rugby is a little bit different to GA in that I'd say Inafalvi was talking about rugby in a professional context as opposed to you know stuff that it might might involve the amateur clubs and uh, and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, that's 
like at at that at the end of it all, it was just that that's that that I think everybody is willing to accept that that like there will come a point where if there's not if, if there's not a vaccine, that there will be an acceptable level of risk, and that just hopefully that it'll come that you know by October when the GEA say have put their date in the air that you know would be a, at a better stage to know whether what the acceptable level level of risk is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the Irish Daily Mail then lads, they were the best on the strongest on GEA. They had three pieces. Um, they had Philip Lanigan had an interview with Terry Hyland. They focused a little bit on the whole um, coronavirus thing, which I wasn't all that interested in. Um, there is an interesting headline, until there is a vaccine, there is no way ahead. And then the subheadline says, Leitra manager Terry Hyland believes the GEA is the new church in Irish society and says the congregation must be patient um, as they wait for a resurrection. Now, if that isn't a sub-headline to make you not want to read the piece, well, I don't know what is. Um, Michael Clifford then talks about Sean O'Shea. And Sean O'Shea was doing the rounds because he did a media thing with um, for Pieta House, I think, during the week or for something um, like that. And he was in the Irish or the Sun on Sunday as well. And what I liked about Michael Clifford's piece is that he didn't focus on Sean O'Shea's opinion on the coronavirus, which the one in the Sun did. Like he actually analysed Sean O'Shea as a player, and, you know, and and compared him to other Kerry legends and kind of used his quotes, you know, in that context rather. And if I see another Gaelic footballer telling me what they think of the coronavirus, um, now that might sound a little bit contradictory considering we've spent the last 40 minutes doing that. <laughs> but like, I don't think GA players have any interest in that. But Sean O'Shea is a very interesting, I, it's an interesting quote. I liked it. He's talking about the amount of practice he does. Um, and actually, I've completely forgotten about his stats from the All-Ireland final last year, the, the drawn um, All-Ireland. He scored 10 points, four frees, three 45s and three from play from 10 attempts. No wides for um, a man 20, what, 21 years of age, 20 years of age in his first All-Ireland senior final. 10 points, no wides, three from play, um, three frees, three 45s. That's some return or four frees, three 45s. But what Sean O'Shea says about his practice, he says it's all about the amount of practice. You just can't go out on the, on the day and hope things go well for you. What you put into it is what you get out of it. And you never get a kick in a game that you haven't taken in training. And that's where the confidence comes from. And like, I mean, I was just thinking, Conan, reading that going, Jesus, imagine lining up from a free, no matter where it is inside that 45, you've taken that and you've scored it in training. Yeah, these boys do practice. It turns out we should tell we should tell Joe Brawley from every but, angle, from every angle, so that there's never a situation in a match that you haven't taken this free. I don't know. That kind of resonated a bit with me. I've never taken frees, so I thought that was a good insight. Yeah. No, look, that, that is it's back to that boring talk about control controllables. He can control that if he practices every angle. Like obviously, it takes a lot of time, but he it is someone that he can be control of and. You're not the hard backward, but it is. It's about how much work you put in. Like any of the top players you talk to, like it's they work harder than you. Like you know, that, that's it. That's what it comes down to. They obviously have talent as well, but they work harder. And Sean O'Shea, I remember that final, like the, both of them, but the first one especially, it was just like, wow, here's a 20 year old who is a big, a big time player that we can see, you know, because he's on the biggest stage against the best team of all time, and he's taking it to them. Like you know, he's taking that responsibility and he's taking them on and. I still remember like just that bit of maturity as really came off the shoulder of Tommy Walsh and there was a goal chance but Walsh was a bit delayed in playing, playing with him and then suddenly had two Dublin players around him and he had to shake them off and kick it over his shoulder and put you know I think that through at level and just ran back out but just just that maturity to put put the point over and keep it going 
But um, yeah, like it, it, you're probably touching on something there, though, about you know asking these players, not asking them about coronavirus and whatever else. Like that's that, that's probably where the fear of the media comes from, because like this this is what happens when you're a beat journalist and you have so much uh, ink to mm. to fill. Like you have to fill the pages, and people are going out and they're asking people about a red card or a suspension or the Ray Walker case or the coronavirus, and Sean O'Shea doesn't want to talk about that. Dublin players don't want to have a big headline like that, so they probably avoid it then. Whereas actually, if it became more, we're going to talk about you, yeah, and it might be, you know, it might start, you know, coming back. But at the minute, it's not like. Yeah, he does a lot of comparisons, um, like I was saying, with uh, Mikey Sheehy, with Morris Fitzgerald, and with the Gooch, and his stats stack up to any of them. He's he's averaging six point five one five points per game after thirteen uh, games. Uh, Mikey Sheedy was at 5.15 after 13 games. Morris Fitzgerald was at 7.38 after 13 games. And the Gooch was at um, 2.53. Now, the Gooch wasn't on the freeze um, in the early days of his career, which, you know, is, uh, you know, has to be pointed out. But Sean O'Shea, like, I mean, barring injury will more than likely beat Gooch's record of the all-time top scorer for Kerry. I don't think, uh, in my head, there's no doubt about that, Connor. No, I, 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 I not only think that, Willie, I think that also, like I was just thinking back when I was looking at his stats there as well, is that like uh, that Killian O'Connor became the top scorer in, in championship history at the age of 26 or something like that, maybe 26, 27. And just like with, with, with uh, well, whenever we get back to football, but with the Super 8s and stuff like that, with the more games, I was thinking that Sean O'Shea could have that record for himself before, you know, providing the, uh, providing he avoids injury. By the by the time by well before he's thirty as well, like you know, it's just the the consist the consistency as you mentioned, ten points with no wides in your first All Ireland final is incredible stuff. I was just thinking as well, reading that piece, I'd love to have his back garden. Um, that he has, he's had a set of goals there. I think since he was since he was four or five. So not only is he nailing them at training, he was chatting about just being able to. His brother is down from Dublin. He's working from home, so to be able to kick in the back garden and stuff like that. So obviously a benefit having the big set of goals in your back garden since that age. But the one thing that he can't replicate. You know, from from kicking kicking points from all angles and training, or even in the back garden, is the pressure. But like, the more you have, you know, or, or with eighty two thousand people watching or whatever, but the more you have trust in your technique, it lessens the impact of the pressure of the crowd considerably. And it's obvious that that's had a huge impact for for him, for Sean O'Shea. Yeah, exactly. I have to point out that the Philip Lanigan's um, piece. It's not Philip Lanigan's uh, fault. He writes good articles. It was just the whole topic um, I'm trying to point out. The other piece was Shane McGrath, who's chief sports writer. He's talking. He writes a very, very complimentary piece um, about the GEA. It's like he has maybe, the way I read it, he has some inside information from them and wanted to give them a, a, a decent uh, shout out. Because um, he says things like, however, amid the tumult of a pandemic that has killed hundreds in this country, that threatens to lay waste of so many permanent jobs, and that has already brutally reshaping public behaviour in a way that makes the future of sport unknowable in the short term, the GEA has been outstanding. Then he continues on, he said, yet as its, as its playing fields have been left empty and its big competitions appear increasingly unlikely to be played at all in 2020, the association's leadership has been superb. Right. So then he goes on towards the end and says, and so within days of his, he's talking about Leo Varadkar, and so within days of his misguided attempt at using the championship for easy good news, it fell to the GEA to put the people right. And then he said, 
he talking continues on about the government. He says Croke Park cleared up a mess made extraordinarily by the most senior politician in the country. Jesus, like I mean, is he getting a backhander off the GEA? Like, can I say that for fear? <laughs> I I am completely withdrawing that comment. But this read as a piece that John Horan might have uh, given him a few lines. So I think in March the GEA did play a blinder. Like you know, they deserve a lot of credit. Like they. On the Thursday when Leo Radker told us all to start working from home, this is before the lockdown, the GA came out and they were decisive and said, everything's closed, no training, no nothing. And I think that was very important. I'm coming from the north, but like for the six counties up north, who the UK were sitting on their hands for another two weeks and they just took their leave from the GA. So that, that probably did save some lives in, in the long run, especially up there, because everyone just stopped training together and they stopped meeting and they started practicing social distancing. So they do deserve credit there for acting quickly. But no, like uh, you're probably right there. But how could you know, how would how would the GEA look if the government is is announcing a lockdown and the GEA say no, we're going to keep our pitches open? No, but this is before the lockdown. Like you know, the lockdown didn't come until the Tuesday. Then I think after that, but the GEA came out on Thursday as well and said, yeah, we're we're all stopping. There's supposed to be games that weekend, you know. But the government were just saying start work from home if you can. Like Veracruz then had another follow up where he started introducing the 2K limits and stuff like that. So they yeah. did they did act quickly. And in fairness, I remember sitting at lunchtime and we were supposed to go to training that night. And then like, the Dublin GA released a statement saying no more training. It was like, wow, that was that was quick. And like I say, important for the North. But like now, as much as I agree that you know they are sort of saving some clubs from themselves, but like you're right, they're not doing anything. They're just saying, don't do anything. It's like Shep's job with the Dublin media. Like, you know, he just yeah. says there's no media. It's not really a job. So that's what they're doing now at the minute. They're just extending that. They're not doing anything superbly. Yeah, I know. They do they deserve credit. I'll take your point to deserve credit for being, you know, proactive in closing everything there. And they deserve credit for opening up their facilities for the testing. You know, like, I mean, even though John Horan, in fairness to him, played that down, didn't want credit for it. But still, like, I mean, I didn't see any other sporting organisations doing that. So, like, I mean, the GEA do, do deserve credit. And I'm critical of them being overly conservative. But, like, I mean, I don't know how you could come out and say the GEA has been outstanding. Their leadership has been superb. They have put the Irish people right. They have cleared up a mess made extraordinarily by the government. Give me a break, uh, Connor. Like, I mean, mm. they don't deserve that much credit. No, I I think yourself and Conor have explained it well. I mean, they've they've done what they've had to do, but like you know, it's it's like it's like Roy Keane used to say, like the you know the 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 attack the postman for delivering your post that kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So like the, the it maybe went a little over the top. They've been you know like to he uses a lot of political references in that article. So to use another one, there's a lot done or a lot more to do. Let's say so. Yeah, he seemed to have some good in, inside information on how annoyed the GA were about Simon Harris not telling them stuff, you know, and things like that. So, um, like, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to know. Anyways, um, we want to finish up with this one. It's back to the Sunday world. It's John Brennan, lads. And this is really scraping the bottom of the barrel. He said, um, across to bear for stars is the headline here. And maybe this isn't John Brennan's fault because he says, we pick our dream team of greatest players never to have won an All-Ireland medal. So I don't know, is this a consensus amongst uh, different uh, Sunday World journalists or this is John Brennan's idea? But this is 10 a penny on any GA message board that you'll ever visit. The best team never to win an All-Ireland. So it's so much guff, you couldn't even go through it. And what, what struck me is that my name was never mentioned in this whole thing. And maybe that's because I won the minor All-Ireland. I wasn't actually <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't actually considered for this. Would that make sense? 
Did you miss the minor <laughs> brackets in the headline, Willie? Did you? What? <laughs> you missed the minor in brackets in the headline. <laughs> that's the thing. Look, 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 I don't want to criticise any journalist for trying to fill up space. We all know how hard it is. But Christ Almighty, lads, if we're like, well, I'm worried in September if we're going down the road of going team of the decade, greatest team to never win in All Ireland. If you could sign one player from another team, even though I have to say I put that into <laughs> put that into the tribute shows I'm doing, but. Uh, I don't know. Listen, I don't want to be overly critical of a of a fellow, uh, you know, GA uh, reporter, colleague, whatever you want to say. But it's too early for best team never to win an All Ireland. Well, I was just digging out my piece from five years ago where I'd done the exact same thing, thinking that Willie's going to have a fit of his season. But now I see that it's all personal because you weren't. <laughs> right, lads. At that point, we're going to leave it there. We we've uh, done enough for today. Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully we'll talk to everybody again on Thursday. I think we'll have a tribute show um, this Thursday or maybe a live show, depending on what comes up during the week. We'll talk to you all then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm, har- I'm heartbroken. <laughs>